Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Talk show host still trying to figure that part of it out as we head into a game day today. Orange basketball tonight in the Carrier Dome. The Cuse and UB, University of Buffalo, meeting for the first time in years. A series that probably should happen a little bit more often, but it uh, squares off tonight in the Dome. Buffalo is good, and we'll tell you more about them, of course, when we hit the air from the Dome tonight at 5.30, 7 o'clock tip-off. These two games kind of a couplet, Buffalo and St. Bonaventure, two uh, Western New York opponents with enough material to beat Syracuse, particularly St. Bonaventure, but Buffalo is good as well. They've won three in a row. Bonnies have won five in a row. And uh, we're looking forward to teaching you about the Bulls and uh, talking about that game tonight. We'll visit with Josh Wetzel, the voice of UB basketball, coming up on the show in just a few moments and a few things left over from yesterday's show to get into in due time. Lots sort of percolating. Uh, Max hitting on coaching news and uh sounds like it's all a done deal i think in my position i'll stop a little short of commenting on it until uh, we actually uh hear it confirmed by uh syracuse and kent state but certainly sean lewis makes sense as somebody who's uh capable of moving on to a head coaching position he's got uh, pelts on the wall and a track record as the uh, offensive coordinator at uh, really when you look at it, three different spots where this formula has proven out. So uh, back to the Mac is uh, a logical step, and there's a lot happening. We're going to talk tomorrow about the early signing period as uh, Syracuse hopes to knock off half to two-thirds of its recruiting class this week, and we'll visit with Dino Babers about that tomorrow. But also on the horizon, a change in college football coaching where all programs are now allowed to add a 10th assistant coach. Up up until now, it's been nine, now 10. So watch all the assistants go. That doesn't necessarily mean they're leaving here or whatever, but you're going to see them floating because now there's a 10th. And so in the rich get richer industry of college football – Alabama, who already has an extensive staff, could either hire from within and promote one of their people that's a consultant or quality control or whatever it might be. That person can be the assistant. Coaches might look at it. Head coaches uh, can use that position at their discretion. Is it going to be a full-time special teams coach? Is it going to be an assistant offensive line coach? Is it going to be a consultant type or whatever it, it might be that's going to uh, have multiple roles, associate head coach, etc. At any rate, it gives a little bit of a shuffle to uh, what we know now as the uh, college football uh, coaching structure, and uh, we'll look to see how that uh, shakes out and if and how it affects Syracuse. Looking forward to asking Coach Babers how he intends to use that uh, 10th spot. Would he promote somebody that he has on staff here and then uh, look to fill that spot? Would he bring in somebody from the outside? How does he handle uh, what it appears to be 
a vacancy for his offensive coordinator position, although that was a co-position to begin with. Sean Lewis tied to Mike Lynch, who's also the offensive line coach, and uh, Lewis had been the play caller and and uh, had worked obviously with closely with Coach Babers in terms of designing what they were trying to do on the offensive end. So we'll look for that over the uh, course of the next few days and weeks as to uh, how things might shuffle out with coaching. Basketball tonight, an exciting one in the Dome. They're all exciting, but uh, with uh, just the three remaining non-conference games, the Orange are in position to go to 12-1 and in non-league play, which would be a huge improvement over last year. And again, this year's team's not playing last year's team, but we look at it as last year was the roadmap for kind of pointing out the line of demarcation of in the tournament or out. The Orange were you know, pretty much the most qualified team that didn't make the NCAA tournament. So as we watch that guideline this year, every time they do something that exceeds last year's performance is a step in the right direction. That's what the win against Connecticut and the win against Georgetown represent. I think one thing that we need to caution everybody about is that while the Orange went you know, roughly 500 in ACC play, they did it with three wins against top 10 teams. There's no given that that's going to happen this year. Does this team have – they may knock off a North Carolina, a Miami, a whoever. You're certainly going to have the opportunities against top 10 teams because there are so many of them in the ACC. Are you going to have the firepower to knock off a team like that? We will see. That's what I was going to say. The difference between this year and last year's team is they've got to beat Pitt at Pitt you know, sure. and they've got to beat, you would say BC, but BC already beat Duke. So it's not right. going to be an easy road. Well, to the schedule conference. is somewhat friendly-ish. You know, the ACC schedule has plenty of challenges, period. And every team is to be taken seriously, and it's hard to win at Pittsburgh, et cetera. But the Orange do have doubles against the teams figuring to be near the bottom of the league. Pittsburgh, Boston College, Wake Forest. Those are all two plays for Syracuse. The one-two play that would be an upper division team is Virginia, and Virginia is going to be a tough matchup uh, no matter what uh, for the Orange uh, as we go through. So, uh, got to take care of business. Can only win the one game tonight, and uh, they match up with Buffalo. Buffalo has a really unusual situation where they've had this transfer from Missouri named Wes Clark. He's a point guard. In three years at Mizzou, averaged about seven and a half points per game, and his last year there averaged 10, but uh, had some academic difficulties. And two years ago, the coach at Missouri, Kim Anderson, said, All right, enough's enough. They parted ways. So Wes Clark took a year to consider his options and then elected to transfer to Buffalo, where he put in now two semesters in residence. That's what that's the requirement. You have to put in a year in residence at your school before you can be eligible to play. Well, what's at issue is Clark should be, in theory, eligible to play as soon as today because the semester is over. Well, the semester isn't really over until all the T's are crossed and the I's dotted. All the grades are in. I can tell you as an adjunct professor at the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University, grades are due Thursday. I'll be hitting that button at 11.57 on Thursday night so after being the a, Jim Beheim So being show. a professor is a lot like being a student. You just wait till the last Well, I'm not <laughs> waiting on purpose. i got a million things going on. It's hard. You want to do the grading with consideration, and um, there's a lot of workload. we got this stupid show every day. It gets in the middle of, of things a little bit. And uh, so 
Now, I'm sure somebody at Buffalo is saying, hey, uh, Professor McGillicuddy, how about uh, getting the grade in? Like, I, I don't know if there's any question that the the uh, kid, Wes Clark, is going to get passing grades, but the grades are not actually in and filed and sealed. So this is going to go right up potentially to game time. He did not travel over here with the team yesterday. My understanding is he's getting here independently so that he's on the premises or available to go should he be ruled eligible and if he is he's probably right off the bat the second or maybe even the first best player for UB CJ Massenberg who's a, a preseason all uh, mid-american conference player is having a tremendous year so far for Buffalo averaging 20 points and 7 rebounds per game but uh, Clark figures to be one of the best players in the MAC this year Buffalo a talented roster and high aspirations for the season they've made the tournament two of the last three years. We're going to talk about that with Josh Wetzel coming up in a bit and get uh, his insights on how this team has been put together, how the program has been built under Bobby Hurley, who's now at Arizona State and has them in the top five. And Nate Oates, the coach who succeeded, was hired by Hurley originally, now has succeeded him and uh, is successful so far in his third year coaching the Bulls. After we visit with Josh, we've got a, a bunch of different things to run across, including a little carryover on our discussion yesterday about the worthiness of continuing the Georgetown series and Coach Beheim's recent kind of history lesson. Every time those guys, Coach Beheim and Luke Carnesecca and John Thompson, when they want to talk about the old Big East days, we want to listen. So we've got some of that to share for you, and we'll get to your questions and comments related to the series and whether it should continue or not. You can join us by phone at 437-7644. That's 4ESPN44. In the booth brought to you by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. When we come back, we'll talk basketball in tonight's game with UB. Jim Sadlin will join us on Friday to look ahead to the Orange and St. Bonaventure as well. Uh, using a term from uh, the government stuff I've been reading, does he have to recuse himself from uh, broadcasting that game? Is he uh... No. <laughs> I would say he's as quali- he's more qualified than anybody, and he's will be privileged to have him uh, with the game. It'll be one game where he doesn't have to be checking the his phone constantly to see how St. Bonaventure's doing because they're right in front of him. So he Sats loves the Bonnies, and uh, looking forward to uh, going down memory lane with him a little bit and seeing really a, a great game. Might be one of the better pre-conference games for the Orange this year. That's Friday night at 7. But first things first, Buffalo tonight. Josh Wessel, the voice of the Bulls basketball program, will fill us in on UB when we return in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Game day coverage of Syracuse basketball is brought to you by Geico on the Pulse of the Orange. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. In the booth on a Tuesday, good to have you along with us here up until 3 o'clock today, back every day, 2 to 3 the rest of the week. Before we go uh, into basketball, I've seen enough uh, confirmation for my taste on Sean Lewis. His uh, official Twitter account, which he uses regularly, has been switched over to uh, head football coach for your Kent State University Golden Flashes. That's his bio. That'll do it. Hashtag flash fast with the lightning bolt. He put the lightning bolt after his name. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's well, you know when you switch jobs, you got to switch your emojis. And last uh, last college football position is now filled. That is, is it, the, the last. last one? I think that was the last opening in college football. Kent State. That's fitting on a day we're talking Mac. The Orange playing in the Mac in basketball tonight. We welcome 
really the shack of the Mac, I, I think. I, <laughs> Gary Trent was just warming up that uh, nickname for our friend Josh Wetzel. You and Gary Trent have a lot in common, don't you? Oh, yeah. Everybody's called me Shack of the Mac for years. Yeah. You, uh, <laughs> you are the Mac daddy and uh, looks like... You said uh, it, I didn't. Yeah, there you go. So uh, the uh, Syracuse football assistant coach, Sean Lewis, looks like he's off to be the head coach of the Golden Flashes. How about that? Yeah, good for him. Yeah. That's... Uh, you know, good spot to get started. Cradle of coaches there at uh, Miami of Ohio and, and uh, in the MAC, and it's uh, it's funny because for years, Josh, we we talk about uh, the MAC as kind of uh, Big Ten light, but that doesn't doesn't feel like Buffalo is in you know feels in that group because um, you know the MAC. You think of the Great Lakes and the Michigan schools and and the Ohio schools and and Buffalo a little bit of an outlier, but uh, as it relates to uh, basketball this year, as good as anybody, right, to to take their shot at the MAC championship. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Buffalo hasn't been in the MAC that long. It's on the eastern edge of the conference. And right now, pre, uh, pre-conference, you could probably say the two best teams in the MAC have been in the east and the west side of it, Buffalo on the east and Ball State on the west, with Ball State beating Notre Dame. So, uh, yeah, you know, Buffalo's, uh, Buffalo's turned into one of the better basketball schools in the league the last uh, three or four years. So uh, they're, they're really pumped about this game tonight, that's for sure. Yeah, we're going to have you catch us up on the history of UB basketball in uh, recent years here in a minute, but let's go right to the present, and that's Wes Clark. What's the deal as of uh, 2.20 on a, a Tuesday afternoon as to his availability, and, and what's the very latest? I think your guess is as good as mine. Uh, the last I heard, they're still kind of waiting for his, uh, his grades to post, and it, as soon as that happens, if he passes the classes he needs to, uh, he'll he'll be here. I think he'll be here tonight, uh, regardless, uh, because if he is eligible, even if it doesn't come to pass until tomorrow morning, he can at least hop on the plane and go to Texas A and M for the game Thursday. So he'll probably be in Syracuse tonight. Whether or not he's going to be suited up, I guess, is still anybody's guess. But obviously, UB is hoping that he'll be available tonight because he could be a difference maker for this team, uh, certainly moving forward. And that's what's unique of the mid-year transfer. Yeah. And in uh, Clark's case, it's been two years because it was a, a year of uh, finding himself, let's say, before actually deciding to pull the trigger to uh, transfer to Buffalo. And now he's put in the two semesters-ish, the you know 1.9999 semesters waiting for this uh, these last grades to uh, post and go through before he can claim he's finished uh, two. And so puts Coach Oates in a tough spot, right, except that at least he's a good player. You you know that he's in the lineup and he's going to get in there if available, but uh, he's had to make do without for the time being. And, and while everybody sort of assumed that he'd be ready to go on this uh, first day after the close of the semester, it's not uh, necessarily in the books just yet. And, uh, and I asked the coaches if he is – ready to play, whether it's tonight, whether it's Thursday, whenever, early on, is it going to, to mess up the chemistry of the team at all because he hasn't been playing? And they're not worried about that in the least because he has been practicing. Uh, he's been regularly able to practice with the team now for the last semester, semester plus. So they don't think that's going to be an issue whatsoever. And I know the players are hoping he's eligible to play because uh, he is he's a very good player. He's played at a at a high major at Missouri, was probably Missouri's best player before he left that program. And uh, so they're pumped. They're hoping he's ready to go. Josh Wetzel is with us, handles the radio broadcast of uh, UB basketball. The Bulls come in seven and three and having won three in a row. Uh, first time in a long time that this series has 
been contested. Yeah. Last uh, meeting was in December of 2001. And, you know, I think there'd been some interest, right, for Buffalo in the meantime, the interim to play, but want to play on campus, right? And that's probably not going to happen from a Syracuse perspective. Yeah, that, that's probably not going to happen. I think that ship has sailed probably for Buffalo uh, quite a few uh, years ago now to play teams of Syracuse's caliber at Alumni Arena, although you always hope something like that can happen. But fortunately, the weather's a lot better today than that uh, that December in 2001 <laughs> when these teams before uh, played before because uh, that game had to be pushed back a day because they had snow in Buffalo measured in feet rather than inches, they couldn't get off campus and they had to play the game uh, a day later than originally they were supposed to. Not good. No. If you can avoid it. The snow's going the other way here, melting off, and uh, we're not even guaranteed at this point of a uh, of a white Christmas, which uh, I guess remains to be seen. We'll see if there's another blast of that uh, before Monday. Josh, uh, C.J. Massenberg, with all due respect to Wes Clark, he's been a guy that's been holding it down at that position in terms of being the leader of this Buffalo team. What type of jump have you seen from him from his sophomore to junior year, and and what's he given the Bulls so far this season? Well, he's been a really good player from day one at Buffalo, and he was a very lightly recruited player out of high school in Dallas, but from day one has been a contributor. But he has stepped it up every single year. He just has gotten better and better. He's one of these high basketball IQ guys, one of the hardest workers around, one of the smartest kids on the team. And now this year, I mean, he's just flat out knocking down shots. He's shooting close to 50% from three-point range. And Buffalo, as a team, has really struggled rebounding. But CJ, as a guard, is leading the team in rebounding. I think he's sixth in the MAC in rebounds right now. So he's been playing incredibly well on both sides of the ball and is somebody that they've been able to count on game in and game out to put up numbers. Uh, he's certainly the last guy that they ever have to worry about uh, on or off the floor because he does everything right. He has uh, shot 47% from three-point range. He's scored 25 points four times in 10 games so far, including 30 at Delaware. And uh, Massenberg, a first-team all-MAC uh, caliber player. Uh, the Orange have already played Toledo, a team they trailed briefly at the start of the second half and uh, wound up beating by eight Eastern Michigan out of the MAC with uh, Rob Murphy remains on the schedule for December 27th. And uh, Buffalo has won the conference tournament and made the NCAA uh, two of the last three years, and that bridged the coaching change, Josh, uh, from Bobby Hurley to Nate Oates. And um, thought maybe you'd take us back to those games and, and the idea that, you know, Buffalo didn't just make the tournament. You know, we're, we're seeing as teams break through or lesser conference team, you know, Texas Southern makes the tournament every year, but they're not competitive once they get there. Buffalo lost single-digit games to Miami and West Virginia. What what has that meant to the program to get to that level of success, and, and how do they get to the point where maybe they have a better shot in the opening round? Well, they think they're getting there right now, especially with uh, some of the players they've been bringing in the last couple of years. They have a big-time recruiting class coming in next year that they're really excited about. And the unfortunate reality for the last – I don't know, 15 years or so, is that the Mid-American Conference, too, is a one-bid league. They haven't had an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament since Wally Zerbiak was a senior at Miami. So you have to win the conference tournament in Cleveland to go to the NCAAs. Buffalo has tried to put themselves in a position by playing a more challenging schedule that if they can do well before they get to conference and then have a great conference season, 
then maybe you could get to the point where you're in consideration for an at-large bid if you don't happen to win the conference tournament. That being said, I mean, this is a team that has very high goals. Their goal is not just to win the MAC tournament. It is to get to the NCAA tournament and advance after that first game. And, and I think they're getting to the point where they can really realistically talk about stuff like that. And you mentioned the, the NCAA tournament game with West Virginia. Uh, that was the first ever NCAA tournament game for Buffalo. And Buffalo's best player that year, Justin Moss, who, like Wes Clark, played for Nate Oates in high school, was hurt. He, he was not 100% or even close in that game. And if Justin Moss had been 100%, I'm fairly confident UB would have beaten West Virginia and advanced to the second round in their, their first ever trip to the big dance. Well, as you know, that is such a recruiting boost. Sometimes mean you lose your coach, and, and that's what happened in the case of Bobby Hurley. But it's been four consecutive years with double-digit wins in the MAC. So if you penciled in Buffalo for between 10 and 12 wins in the MAC this year, uh, you know now they've got challenges on the road with uh, Syracuse and, and Texas A&M, two teams that give them uh, resume-building opportunities. Then they'll be heavily favored against NJIT in the first game after Christmas. So at minimum, you're looking at eight non-conference wins, and uh, then you add the 10, the 12, somewhere in that neighborhood. Buffalo uh, would figure to be right there. Uh, but as you say, it's a, a little bit difficult for at-large uh, consideration. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, Hurley, you know, obviously is an acquired taste in – the the way he is tightly wound and and uh, his background and people know you know his father was a legendary high school coach uh, that program has just uh, been shut down recently it's at St Anthony's then he's a floor slapper at Duke and and uh, works his way up uh, are you surprised or has this been just par for the course the pretty much immediate success he's had at Arizona State getting them into the top five uh, I'm surprised. Uh from the standpoint that it's happened this quickly, I guess. Uh, for example, Shannon Evans, who transferred from Buffalo to Arizona State right. and has been really good at Arizona State. Quite frankly, as much as I like Shannon, I didn't think he was going to be as good in the Pac-12 as he has been. Uh, so he surprised me. But, I mean, Hurley knows what he's doing as a coach, and, and players like to play for him. They play a fun style. Uh, they have a great offense there. They don't play a ton of defense, but I think that will eventually maybe catch up to them a little bit. But it's a it's a fun type of of team to be playing for. If you're a high school kid, you're attracted to that sort of an offense, and and they've got some good recruiting uh, names coming in there. It looks like in the near future too. So I'm not really surprised uh, that they're having success. Maybe that it's happened as quickly. And and to kind of tie that into Buffalo, I think some folks are maybe surprised that Nate Oates was able to just keep things going as smoothly as he did once he took over. But, but Oates is a really good coach, and he knows what he's doing and, and, uh, and also plays that fun, up-tempo kind of style that's attractive to players to, to come and want to play for him. Well, I'm excited. Buffalo likes to go end-to-end. Uh, Syracuse, for the most part, has played in the ha- half court this year, but you know got the press going against Georgetown really to jumpstart Syracuse's offense, if nothing else, to kind of uh, open the floor up a little bit. And so uh, this is one where... Uh, Buffalo is not to be taken lightly, certainly has enough to beat Syracuse, and an exciting trip, I know, for you, Syracuse and College Station back-to-back, and then uh, a chance uh, for Syracuse to get to to win number 10 tonight, too, so it ought to be fun. It is going to be fun. I think the biggest concern for Buffalo is how good Syracuse has been crushing the offensive glass, and Buffalo has given up a lot of offensive rebounds. 
if if they have issues with that tonight, then Syracuse has a really good chance. But if Buffalo keeps them off the offensive glass, which I think they're capable of doing, they just haven't done it much this year, then that will be a big difference in the game. Yeah, Buffalo's been rebounding even with its opponents on the year. Syracuse, one of the best teams in the country at 11.5 boards per game uh, for their positive margin so far. And uh, Buffalo's starting front line, six seven six eight. They've got a six ten. Uh, off the bench who's just coming back from injury as well. So good stuff, my friend. Always uh, fun to chat with you. Looking forward to uh, catching up here in the Dome in a little bit, okay? Yeah, be good. All right, Josh Wetzel from the uh, University of Buffalo radio broadcast. The Bulls coming in at 7-3. and More to come when we continue in the booth. More from Coach Beheim and company as we roll along here until 3 o'clock today. Your phone calls welcome at 437-7644-4ESPN44. We're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care. Darren McFadden of the Cowboys is suing his former financial advisor. McFadden says his ex-advisor mishandled money throughout his NFL career, including losing $3 billion in a botched Bitcoin investment. McFadden suing his former money manager for $15 million. Can't imagine how hot you would be if you clearly directed your advisor or your money manager or whatever to make an investment that they didn't carry out. I'm sure there's some uh, gray area here where there was discussion about whether they should have done it and didn't. And although the guy ended up stealing the money, so maybe there was more nefarious than that. But uh, and there also are background where I'm sure people wanted their money invested in something and somebody never made it for them and it proved to be better off because uh, that investment would have been a losing one. But uh, yeah, McFadden. I think it's probably uh, in good shape to gain something here. Yeah, it would have been $3 million would have netted him $292 million if they had made the investment. Not good. So 15 uh, pills in comparison. It's no 292. Whew. Sounds like something you would do, Polly. <laughs> I don't have that kind of money. No, I mean, be the one who forgot to put it in. Yeah, I could see that. Or I'd bet it on... Padres game. (laughs) James Brown says he was hacked. The host of NFL Football Today claims someone hacked into his Twitter on Sunday night and retweeted a link to a porn website. Minutes later, the 66-year-old Brown said he was, quote, obviously hacked. Obviously. Um, You know, convenient excuse. People talk about I also, I think this could be legit, but I'm sick of too many people who come out and claim that they were hacked. Who's running around hacking uh, Twitter accounts. And I think what happens is if you visit those types of sites, the links are in there, the bots get to the links or however that, that works. But uh, where there's smoke, there's fire on that one. Yeah, I also think if you're 66, you don't have a grasp on the Twitters. And <laughs> right. Maybe, Why does he need to have a Twitter? doesn't say anything when he's on the air anyway. He's probably DMing the link to somebody yeah. else on the set and uh, tweeted it on accident. Correct. 
And 20 years ago yesterday, actor and comedian Chris Farley passed away. The legendary star of SNL and movies like Tommy Boy died of a drug overdose December 18th 1997. Can I just say something that's kind of embarrassing? Um, but I know where I was on December 18th, 1997. For for whatever reason, it's always stuck in my mind where I was when I heard of Chris Farley's passing. And there's no reason. Like, this is like your Lennon and Kennedy experience. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, because there's plenty of other things. I mean, I can vaguely remember. I remember where I was on 9-11 and that, that kind of stuff. And I can, can sort of picture it. But there's lots of very obvious things that I cannot. And... For whatever reason, this sticks in my head. When Chris Farley passed away, and so I, I couldn't have told you the date, but I could tell you right where I was. December 18th, 1997. You could look up this detail to verify. I was uh, with uh, UNC Greensboro basketball team getting ready for a game at Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt, you, you call the games from one of these catwalks up at the top of the arena because they've got the funky setup with the benches at the end and whatever. And walking across... And uh, we got that news alert from somebody, and so that's what I remember. But what an incredible talent. Obviously, so many of the SNL uh, stars have their problems with uh, substance abuse and other stuff, but uh, just incredible. The big lead yesterday went through a, a list of um, his top characters, which come to mind a lot. I think not all of them were on SNL. Of course, Tommy Boy, Paulie's a classic. Guy in a little coat. Fat guy in a little gold. He's just a big dumb animal. It's a great visual, that scene. A yeah, great visual. That's a tremendous movie. And I'm not afraid to admit it. But uh, he was very good. He and David Spade, obviously, uh, very close. Worked in tandem in that one. Here's a good one for uh, students that we uh, deal with up at Newhouse and interviewing. This is this is a great interviewing technique. This is his uh, talk show on his, SNL. Yeah, his most underrated bit, I think. You remember when, remember when you were with the Beatles? Yeah, sure. Sure. That was awesome. Interviewing uh, Paul McCartney, their hard-hitting stuff from... Uh, you know, my question about that is, how do you write a sketch like that? Was Chris Farley in the writer's room just riffing one day, and they said, oh, this might be a good bit? Well, I, I don't know the answer to that. I think some of these things look, at the end product, they look so easy. and Like, in the next one we're going to hear, these are just such... First of all, the talent of Chris Farley, that group in there, like that's kind of the second heyday of SNL for, for my money. It's actually, when I watched it, more regularly, I haven't watched SNL in years, but Chris Farley, David Spade, Phil Hartman, um, Norm MacDonald, hmm. um, right in there. That's a really good core. And then I guess there's another wave after that, right, with the Jimmy Fallons and, and people like that. I mean, it's not going back to the 70s and 80s with Chevy Chase and Belushi and, and uh, whatever, but uh, Farley was an incredible talent. And, of course, Matt Foley was a motivational speaker. First off, I am 35 years old, I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. <laughs> that one is just fantastic. Watch that uh, this morning. And on the couch, the kids in that scene are uh, David Spade and Christina Applegate. And, and they lose it. And they can't keep a straight yeah. face because who knows how they rehearsed it or whatever, but he is just crushing it. And they, they're losing uh, their minds and, and kind of cracking up uh, when they're off camera. Not, really good. Not to be like Chris Farley, like that was awesome, but the Gap, the, the Gap employees too. And yeah, they that was up, pretty like, the good. Girls. 
think anytime I'm he, starving. Any, anytime he did a cartwheel or, or some kind of tremendous uh, real physical, physical humor. Yeah, he was yeah. he was great. Very good. Did you have a, a do we care, Polly, or a you do care, or what would you have? Am I trying? Oh, no. <laughs> oh yes. Do, do we care? It looks like Joe Salzone's mom dressed him today. I'm glad we rehearsed kinda, this. Kind of did, yeah. <laughs> well, anytime you get, when you have the uh, the golf shirt with the collar sticking out from under you the sweater, like, yeah. I ran out of uh, shirts to wear. You but look, Polly looked like Johnny Cash dressed him today with the black on black. He looks like a vice principal of a high school today, Joe. On casual day, yes. I, I wish. Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love it first slice. Good stuff. Anytime you remember Chris Farley and his great lines, uplifting. Eating a steady diet of government cheese <laughs> and living in a van down by the river. Don't want to be doing that. We're going to get Polly. We're going to get him straightened out with that line someday. We're going to bring in Matt Foley for Polly <laughs> one of these days. In the booth.